Hey there, welcome to Christchurch Fox Chapel Sermon Podcast. Just a quick note before we get started that due to some technical difficulties, uh, this sermon that was given on March 1st, 2020, uh, was not recorded in the service. So this is a recording at a later time. But we're looking through Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. So let's pray. Lord God, I pray that your word would have power in our lives, that it would go forth from your spirit and would not return to you empty, but it would accomplish that which you've purposed for it, even today, even in this recording, even in those who are hearing and listening now. For your glory's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nicholas Copernicus was a 16th century Polish astronomer who literally turned our view of the universe on its head. Before Copernicus, it was thought by everyone that the universe revolved around the earth. The earth was the center of everything. And if this is our only reference point, if we've got no technology to kind of look elsewhere and look outside in the, to the whole universe, it's easy to understand When you see the sun going across the sky every single day, when you see the stars rotating through the seasons across our sky, it's easy to think that everything is revolving around us. It was natural. But Copernicus's model said, no, the sun is actually the center of our solar system, that we are as the earth were spinning on its axis and that were revolving around the sun. And his model asked people to give up the belief that the earth was the center of the universe, to abandon that as the common idea. They called it the Copernican revolution and it didn't really happen. It didn't really have impact until well after he died, but it changed everything about how we view the universe. In a similar way, in our passage today, I think God is inviting us to a revolution of our lives, our perspectives, our worldviews, and our actions, how we live. And a passage like this in Ephesians 4, it, it might be easy to see and to feel like Paul is just talking about good Christian behavior. What does a good Christian act like? How should we live if we want to be good Christians? But underlying that is the idea that we're being asked to flip everything on its head. A completely new way of looking at the world that's based in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that he has brought us from death to life. And here's the new central question. What is the center of your universe? What is at the center of your life system? What does your life revolve around? God is asking you to give up on the old idea that you are the center of the universe. Everything that you've lived, every way that you've lived your life so far, naturally uh, is, is in the paradigm that you are at the center of everything. We're inclined to think of ourselves as most important. We're inclined to think that the world revolves around us and to live our lives accordingly. 
But we, in Christ, we are made new. Our minds are renewed. Our lives must be changed. And now they must revolve around the idea that Jesus is Lord and we are not. And this affects everything. Nothing is left untouched by this. So in chapter 4, verse 17, Paul's continuing the discussion that he started at the beginning of the chapter. As we've been going through this book of Ephesians, you'll remember that chapters 1 through 3 are about our identity in Christ, what he has done for us, and how we are made new in Christ. We've been brought from death to life. We were far, now we are near. We are reconciled to God and our identity has changed. And now chapters 4 through 6 are talking about what that means for our daily lives. How then shall we live? In the beginning of chapter 4, Paul urges us to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. So he's continuing that discussion here. And in our passage today, he really gets into the nitty-gritty of how a Christian then should live in light of that gospel that brings us from death to life. So when we read a verse at the beginning of this chapter, live a life in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Um, we need to think about how to approach that well. Because in my own life, I remember reading that verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, when I was a 17-year-old, right after I'd experienced a really profound call into the ministry, the first time I really felt like God was speaking to me and that he invited me to, to pursue a life of ministry. And I read a verse like, live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And I said, I've got a call. God's called me into ministry. And oh, oh boy, now I've got to live a life worthy of that. And so I said, I've got to get my life in shape. I've got to, I've got to shape up my act and, and get myself put together. I've got to start doing the right things. I've got to start living in the right way. I've got to make myself worthy of this call that I've received. And I lived my life for several years under that bad reading of that verse, trying to make myself worthy of what God had called me to. Not only realizing that I'd read the verse poorly just for me, just as a call for ministry and not as a call for every single Christian who's been called to the new life in Christ, but the fact that it was about me making myself worthy. But what Paul is saying is not about making ourselves worthy, but about living into the new life that Jesus has won for us. About living a life faithfully that he has given to us. It's about receiving that gift of a new life, a new identity, and putting it on ourselves, is the language that he uses here in this passage. Putting it on, wearing it faithfully, consistently, with integrity. One, one story, one analogy I've heard that I really like recently was if, the, if someone gives you a new house, someone gives you the keys and the, the deed to a brand new house. It's a mansion. It's, it's move-in ready, and it's got, even got serving staff. It's got everything that you need to live a lavish, luxurious life. Someone gives that to you and says, I want you to have this. And they give you the keys and the deed, 
But that house isn't going to do you any good unless you actually move into it and live in it. In the same way, God has given you and me an incredible gift of a new life in Jesus Christ. And we have to live in it. We have to move into it and live in it on a daily basis in order to receive the benefits of it. So the goal of this is taking on this identity we have in Christ and growing into it. Living into it faithfully. Growing into Christian maturity. uh, As it says earlier in verse 13, Growing into the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. So this is why Jesus said what he did in our gospel reading in John 12, that a seed, in order to bear fruit, has to fall into the ground and die. It can't just by its own willpower and effort start sprouting branches and popping out apples. And this was me for a long time. This was my life of, by my own efforts, trying to bear Christian fruit of working really hard to be that seed that tried on its own to bear fruit without dying. But the seed has to die and be raised to a new kind of life, and so do we. So this is a passage about what life should look like on the other side. And we remember that our activity as Christians always flows out of our identity. So as we approach a passage like this, we have to keep the main goal in front of us, that God is not as interested in getting you to behave in a certain way as he is in bringing you from death to life and by the Holy Spirit helping you to grow up in Christ. This is about aligning ourselves with the new life, cooperating with it, putting it on, shifting the whole orientation of our lives around this so that our lives now revolve around Jesus as Lord, Jesus as the center of our life. So all that being said, let's dive into the passage, Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul begins, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Remember, the Ephesians were a Gentile church. So when Paul says, don't walk as the Gentiles do, he's referring to the world around them, that which they have come out of. He says, because this is not who you are anymore. You do not belong to this world. They used to be Gentiles living in and among and like the rest of the unbelieving world around them. In the futility of their minds. Paul goes on to describe that life. Verse 18, their understanding was darkened. They were alienated from the life of God. They're ignorant and their hearts are hardened. This is not who you are anymore, Paul says. And there's a futility there. If we read uh, verse 18 backwards, it makes a little more sense for us. Because of the hardness of heart by which they don't know God, they're ignorant. Because they're ignorant, they're alienated from the life of God, and so their understanding is darkened. Uh, Paul says that all of this is futility. So when we look at the world around us, when we look at the the Gentile, unbelieving world around us, those who do not know the Lord, who are far from the life of God in Jesus Christ, there's a futility there. There's a darkened understanding that they're not able to understand. The default human mode is a darkened mind and a hardened heart. So 
should we be surprised when non-Christians are not acting like Christians? Should we be surprised that those who do not claim Jesus Christ as Lord do not live like Jesus Christ is Lord? No, we shouldn't. I, I think this deserves our pity and compassion when we see the world around us living in sin and living in darkness. This deserves our, our compassion, not our anger, not just trying to shape people's behavior to be something like we might approve of. Paul goes on, because of this futility, they give themselves up to all of these sins. They've got callous hearts that are only pursuing pleasure, greed, and all kinds of impurity. The world around us, those who don't know Jesus, they're actively living in ignorance and hardness of heart. They're born into and they're mired in sin and they're choosing to live in it fully. Just like those of us who are in Christ need to choose to live in Christ's life fully. These, these people around us, the world is living in sin. And they choose to walk in that because they don't know any, any better. Paul says, walk in this way no longer because this is not who you are. You are a new creation in Christ. Verse 20 goes on and says, this is not the way you learned Christ. This is not the way of Jesus Christ. You were taught the truth. You have heard and received and been taught the gospel where Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins and to bring you into everlasting life. He says, put off your old self. Put off the way of the Gentiles, the way of the world, that former way of life that you had that was corrupt through its deceitful desires. And learn Christ. Learn the way of Jesus again. To learn Christ, I think, is to see, to learn how to see and to recognize the futility and the corruption of that old way of life. The old life that was a dirty rag and we cast it off so that we might put on the new life that he's given to us. And we do this by being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Being renewed in the spirit of our minds means that our worldview shifts, our perspective changes. We realize what is at the center of the universe now is Jesus. You've been made new, so let your mind be renewed. Learn to see the world around you differently. Learn to think in kingdom ways, in godly ways. Learn how to discern, discern darkness from light, evil from holiness, so you can choose to walk in the Jesus way. In the Greek, this word be renewed is a present infinitive, which implies a daily ongoing act. Be renewed day by day. Put on the new self day by day. Live in Christ day by day. So as Christians, we need to be praying that our minds would continually be sharpened, would be changed, would be, uh, our perspectives would be shifted to see the reality of our lives, that Jesus is Lord. And Paul gives us this really helpful imagery of changing clothes, of putting off the old life, 
taking it off and casting it aside so that we might put on the new self. This is something that declares to us that we must simply become what we are. We have to act in accordance with our identity. So this is a matter of living into faithfully the new life that you've, given, you've been given, but also it's a matter of personal integrity. Are you putting on the new life you've been given? Are you who you say you are? Are your actions consistent with your declaration of faith? Are you the same person on Monday that you are on Sunday? Because some of us spend a lot of time and effort trying to live in both camps, trying to wear different sets of clothes, the old and the new. And it's clashing, I've got to say. It doesn't work. Paul says, no longer live in this way. The old feudal ways of your unbelieving self. Stop fighting against and undermining your life in Christ, your identity in Christ. Live like who you are. You are a new creation saved by grace through faith. Live like it, Paul says. In verse 25, Paul moves on to some concrete examples. Saying, therefore, and whenever we read a therefore, we got to remember, we look back what was just said in light of everything that has been said, given that you are made new, that you were dead and now you are alive, that you're called into maturity in the full stature of Christ, to put on Christ and to take off the old life. Given all of that, do these things. Here are some practical tips. Now we want to get into the nitty gritty of our lives and our actions and we were reminded that theology is always practical. Theology always has effects in our daily lives. I can't preach about who Jesus is and what he's done and expect it to have no impact on how I live my life on an average day. So verse 25, Paul lists some examples, some concrete actions of what the Christian life, the renewed life looks like. And I'm not going to work through all of these, but I want to encourage you to, to look at this list and to study it for yourself. But I want to point out and notice with you a few things about these examples, um, these characteristic behaviors of a renewed life. Firstly, all of these concern our relationships. All of these are in the context of relationships and, and how we behave in relation to other people. So growing in Christian holiness is really not possible outside of the relationships that we have in the church. You cannot grow in holiness on your own. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. If you want to grow in Christ, you need to be in the church. You need to belong to a community of faith, a community that is growing with you and pulling you along when you need to be pulled and, and walking alongside you along in this journey. Christian maturity requires Christian community, always. You can't be holy in a vacuum. Secondly, every one of these uh, behavior examples has behind it a theological rationale, uh, a reasoning given for it. So Paul's not just having a list of don'ts that he's walking through, but he's saying, don't do this 
because of this effect of what Christ has done. Um, don't lie to your neighbor, because in Christ we belong to one another, he says. Uh, don't steal, but do honest work, because in Christ you're called to be generous towards those in need. Um, so each one of these has a, a negative behavior countered by the positive. It's the old replaced by the new. And each one of these requires for us this renewed mind, this changed perspective. Each one of these is a concrete example about how a life that revolves around Jesus as Lord looks like and what that entails. And it affects everything. Our, our trust in our relationships, our emotions, our work, our handling of money, our speech. These are just some concrete examples, not comprehensive but just to show us that the life in Christ affects everything about us. In verse 30, Paul says, In all of these things we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I think the Holy Spirit is grieved not just by sin, but the fact that renewed and, and enlivened Christians are refusing to live in this way and refusing to put on the new self, refusing to receive the gift that he so freely and joyfully gives to us. If you have been called and been made new by Jesus Christ, if you have been justified by his saving work on the cross, if you have been invited into his holy family of the church, and you refuse to live in the way that he's called you to, that grieves the Holy Spirit who's in you. Now, what are we supposed to do with a, a list like this? Uh, we who know that we are saved by grace through faith, not through our works. Because it, it's easy to read this as a list of behavior corrections. And that's what I did for a long time. And part of my story is, is, is looking at each one of these and saying, how can I work on this? so that I can be holy, so that I can be worthy. It's, it's easier in many ways to simply look at this and to, to see that I need to just make some tweaks to my behavior. All I need to do is tweak my behavior in some particular ways. You know, if you think about it like a mixing board, I just need to move the notches up and down in the right directions in order to get the levels right. That's how I'm worthy. That's how I'm saved. In some ways, that would be easier for us. It's a much harder thing to learn how to die. To learn how to have the whole perspective of my life be turned up on its head. To realize that my life now revolves around Jesus. That he is the Lord and I'm not. And day by day, I need to be renewed and reminded of that truth. This is the Christian life. And it's not easy. And it's not something that we can just coast through. It's a day-by-day -day renewal, a day-by-day -day refreshment in the truth of the gospel and knowing what Jesus has done for us and submitting to him as Lord. So when we see a list like this in the word of God, that is our authority, that is uh, the word that God has given us, 
of what he's done for us and how he calls us to live. Here's my suggestion for how you can work through this. Maybe work, maybe take a season like we're in right now in Lent and maybe sit down with one of your pastors or a mature and trusted friend and, and try to examine your own life and ask, how completely am I putting on the new life of Jesus Christ? This is not about changing your behavior for behavior's sake, but using these things as markers uh, and a barometer for where your own heart is for how completely and how effectively you are putting on the new life of Christ. And to work through these and think about the, the rationale statements behind each of these actions. And examining your own actions, ask the question of, uh, you know, do I really believe that my neighbor and I are members of one another? That we belong to each other? Through my actions, do I believe that? Through my emotions and my expression of them, am I giving any opportunity to the devil? In my work, am I striving for honest work? Am I striving for integrity in my job um, so that I can be generous with other people? Working hard, earning money to provide for a family and to be generous with those in need around you. Am I concerned with building others up through my speech? Uh, are there ways in which my speech has been used to tear others down or to belittle others? In all of these, asking, am, am I receiving and putting on the free gift of new and abundant life that Jesus has won for me? Am I being renewed in my mind day by day? Am I orienting my life with the way of Jesus? So in all of these, God invites you here to a revolution of your mind. A renewing of your mind and your perspective so that your actions and your life is changed. Because he invites you to live fully into the life that you've been given. To realize that the center of the universe is the Son, Jesus Christ. Not me. Not you. God does not want of you a program of self-improvement, of self-betterment. But he gives us here a guide for how to live into the new life of Christ. It's not about behavior modification, but it's life transformation and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray for all of those who are living in the uh, life of trying to improve ourselves, of, of trying to make ourselves worthy and make ourselves holy. And I pray against the work of the devil that would encourage that. And I pray that in you, Lord Jesus, our minds and our hearts would be renewed, that we would, by your grace, put on the new self and cast off the old and to live in you day by day, in your new life and in your joy. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.